Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Dr. Tony Yoon is a board-certified plastic surgeon known as America's Holistic Plastic Surgeon. And if you spend time on Instagram or TikTok, you might already know him as his following is massive, or you might know him from our Clean Beauty School podcast, which he appeared on a few weeks ago. So look, plastic surgery isn't something we really talk about on the show, and it's not something I'm very familiar with. But Tony is a rare breed as he's the plastic surgeon who does everything he can to keep his patients out of the operating room and believes in the power of functional medicine. To boot, he's hilarious and down to earth. Tony, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on, Jason. So it's so great to have you. I'm a big fan of your work. Listen to you on our, our Clean Beauty School podcast with Alex. You had a great conversation there, read your posts on My Buddy Green, so everyone please go check those out. But to get started here and introduce you to our podcast audience, I'll start with the big question. So you're a holistic plastic surgeon. So (laughs) when I first heard about you from our mutual friend, JJ Virgin, who just raves about you, and I'm like, holistic plastic surgery, the first question that comes to mind is, what is that? So (laughs) what, what is a holistic plastic surgeon? So you think about plastic surgery, and it it is basically the farthest thing from being, quote unquote, holistic. And so for me, I mean, I went through the traditional training of being a plastic surgeon. I did medical school. I did surgery residency, general surgery. I did plastic surgery. I did a fellowship out in Beverly Hills. And it got to the point, Jason, where I thought that I had hit the pinnacle of success. I'm here in Metro Detroit, and I had a one-year waiting list. I was performing surgery on people traveling from all across the country. And in surgery, the idea is that the pinnacle of success is the bigger operation. So when we're in training, we strive to do the bigger surgeries, not the smaller ones, the bigger ones. And I had a patient of mine who had a horrible complication after a very routine operation. And it wasn't my fault. It wasn't her fault. Just sometimes bad things happen. And it got me into really thinking like, am I really doing the right thing? Is this really the pinnacle of success as a plastic surgeon? And I came to a realization after seeing this patient suffer this horrible complication that the goal of being a plastic surgeon should not be trying to get somebody into the operating room, which is what we've always been taught, but it should be the opposite of that. How do we keep them out of the operating room and use surgery as a last resort? And so that's the direction that I've gone with. And it's the idea of all the stuff that you and and all of the people who have submitted content and have published content on your site There's so many things that we can do short of surgery to look and feel our best. And those are things that we really need to focus on first. So so it's your approach. It's not materials. You don't have non-GMO USDA organic (laughs) filler or vegan Botox. You know, it's, it's not materials. It's approach. Yeah, it's approach. But also there are a lot of things that doctors are doing that I disagree with. And so part of it is the approach, but there are also procedures that I myself feel not within what I would consider to be a reasonable operation, but they're being done all across the country. What's an example? So a good example of this is the Brazilian butt lift and the BBL operation. And what this essentially is, put it very simply, is you take fat, you liposuction fat from the tummy or the thighs or the hips purify the fat, then inject it into the butt. And this is the most popular way to give somebody a bigger booty. Well, it also, according to a study a few years ago, has the highest mortality rate 
in all of plastic surgery. One study found that the death rate from this operation was one in 3,000. So one in 3,000 people who have this operation die from it. And who are actually, who's undergoing these operations? It's mainly young women and often young women of color. Now, the surgery has been looked at very seriously since then, and there have been uh, some education that's been going on with our societies to lower that death rate. So in the right hands, it may be one in 15,000, okay? But this is still an operation that has a high complication rate, once again, being done mainly on young women, and it's just not something that I, in general, recommend. Got it. So, But it's one of the most popular surgeries in the country. Well, you, you mentioned young women, and so a line I'll, I'll never forget. So my doctor, my functional medicine doctor who I see is Frank Lippman here in New mm -hmm. York, and he's got tremendous perspective. He's been doing this for quite some time. And I, I remember I said to him recently, Frank, what's the, th the one thing you're really seeing in your practice? And you've got this tremendous perspective 20 years ago versus today. And he said, my patients are getting younger. Some of the, the GI issues or autoimmune or what have you, I typically seeing patients in their 40s or you know 50s now i see them people in their 20s so the segue to you've got some perspective you're not in your 60s but i think you're approaching 50 in your 40s you've done this for a while what are you seeing in your are your patients getting younger uh are there trends like what are you seeing i'll stop there yeah i mean what we're seeing there's some good things that we're seeing definitely and that there is a renaissance in plastic surgery of non-invasive and minimally invasive treatments, which is great because just a few years ago, maybe you know, seven years ago, if you were to say, Dr. Ian, what is the holy grail of plastic surgery? I would say, Jason, the holy grail of plastic surgery is getting rid of fat, unwanted fat, without dieting, exercise, without needles or surgery or anything like that. And we didn't have that. But recently over the last few years, we have actually gotten that. There are actually non-invasive treatments using either lasers or cryotherapy that can actually melt away unwanted fat permanently. So there are a lot of things now. It's exciting because there are a lot of options for those who don't want to go under the knife, which is great for somebody like myself, where obviously going to the knife is the last thing that I ideally want to do with a patient. And so that's a good part of it. But on the flip side, with the advent of social media and with how popular it is, especially with Instagram, there are so many cosmetic doctors who are using those platforms to advertise their services. And by advertising their services, for a lot of them, it's almost like a reality show. It's look at how amazing this result is. You should have this done. And they are trying to promote this to a younger and younger crowd. I'm on TikTok. I have over four and a half million followers on TikTok. And I am very careful with what I post because I don't want ever any of the young people following me to think that I'm trying to encourage them, hey, come to my office, get something done by me. It really is there about education, but, I'm, but not, everybody's not like that. There are doctors out there who I saw one doctor recently who was talking about nose jobs on young, younger people and how he would do it as young as 16. And he has no problem with that. Just make sure you get your parents to sign on that dotted line. And so there's this kind of dichotomy. I think there's, it's great because it's a renaissance in plastic surgery and non-invasive options. But at the same time, you're getting these younger and younger people who are coming into the offices or are calling. We don't see anybody under 18. If you call and you're under 18, we, we just won't see you. But even that 18 to, to early 20-year-olds, a lot of times it's best just to hold off, don't do anything, and do a lot of the things that you promote on Mind Body Green. So you know, one of the things I love about you is your holistic approach and, and this idea that you know, food is medicine, lifestyle is medicine. You talk a lot about that in social media. 
So on one hand, you can't eat your way into a nose job. Like no. you can't, if you've got, if, if, if you can't, but there are certain areas, you know, you talk about fat, like you can, you talk a lot about lifestyle, nutrition and so forth. Like there are things you can do if you want to lose weight. So what, when is the, you know, talk a little bit about some procedures that you believe could be eliminated, maybe not eliminated, but drastically reduced by diet and lifestyle. Yeah. So, I mean, the first one you just touched on, uh, liposuction is either the number one or number two cosmetic surgery, uh, according to, to statistics every single year. And there's a difference between, you know, sometimes I get people who come into consult with me, they want liposuction. And essentially what they're looking for is not lipo to contour stubborn areas of fat, but they want a weight loss procedure. And that's different. I get people to say, look, you know, just lipo my whole body down. And that's just not the way that it goes. I think we need to be realistic in that there are people out there who do have uh, issues with an un being at an unhealthy weight. And there are a lot of options for them. And, and we've covered that on the podcast with a lot of people who know a lot more about that than I do. But at the same time, I think we also need to be cognizant that we all have different genetics. And your genetics may predispose you to having a double chin even though you are in fantastic shape, you take great care of yourself, but gosh darn it, your mom had a double chin, now you have a double chin. And no matter what you do, no matter what you eat, no matter how much you work out, that double chin's always gonna be there. Well, it used to be that the only way to get rid of that would be to lipo it and to bring you to surgery and to give you a scar and all that type of stuff. But once again, now we've got an option to get rid of that without going under the knife. And that's kind of the exciting part of plastic surgery. So that being one option, there's another thing now, I mentioned the Brazilian butt lift earlier and how that is such a potentially dangerous operation. Fairly new segment now in cosmetic medicine are the muscle stimulating devices. So there are devices now they utilize electromagnetic energy, and they actually will stimulate muscles to contract upwards of 20,000 times over a half hour session. And you've talked on this podcast in holistic medicine, there's a lot of talk about biohacking. And this truly is like a biohacking device, but it's very mainstream. And a lot of the major laser companies have it. So if you want to lift and kind of plump up your bottom, those are great devices to do that. And they're perfectly, completely safe. So you mentioned the double chin and I'm curious, like specific to that, what is the non-invasive procedure that, that people can have if they're looking to improve upon their chin? And, and what are some of those other kind of need areas, if you will, that people are looking for a solution where there is a, a non-invasive option out there that they may not be aware of? Cause I, I think what I love about you is you see the knife as an option, but generally it's the last option. Yeah, so for the double chin, there are two devices that I would look at for non-invasive. There's sculpture, which is a laser, and there's cool sculpting, which is cryotherapy. So you can either freeze the fat to, to damage those fat cells permanently, and then your body will clear it through its natural mechanisms, or you can use a laser to heat the fat up to a temperature where those fat cells die, and your body once again discards of them. There's another option called Kybella, which is an injection. So it's not surgery, but it is injection of deoxycholic acid, which is a naturally occurring substance uh, in our GI tract that basically emulsifies and dissolves away fat. And so that's something that we've been seeing a lot more, especially since the pandemic started, because I think it's because people are seeing themselves on Zoom so much that they're noticing the double chin more than they ever did. I'm doing more Kybella in my office now than I ever did before, because I think we're seeing ourselves 
on these you know platforms on zoom on facetime and all of that now that is invasive because it's a needle but it's very well tolerated and that substance will basically gradually melt away the fat under the chin so that's a great way those are three great options that work they're they can take some time. This is not an overnight thing, but they're very safe and the risk of complications is extremely low. And then you asked about another thing that maybe we, that will take the place of surgery. There is, you know, you might, microneedling is a super popular treatment right now. In holistic circles, it's, it's all about microneedling with platelet-rich plasma, PRP. So you spin out your blood, you take the platelets out, fill with growth factors, you microneedle the face, so you make these tiny little puncture wounds in the face, and then you apply the PRP over it. That Those growth factors seep into those tiny little holes made by the microneedling to rejuvenate your skin from the inside out. It's great. But now what we have is microneedling kind of 2.0 where we can take those microneedling, those microneedles, and we actually will infuse them with radio frequency. So we actually will heat those microneedles up. So when you make that little puncture into the skin, instead of just pulling the needle out, it, it creates heat into the deeper surface of the skin to cause the collagen of the skin to tighten up. And there is a device called the Morpheus, and this is a device that you can use throughout the whole body to help create tightening of the body skin. Now, this isn't like a body lift. If you've lost 100 pounds, Morpheus is not going to get rid of all that skin. But it's perfect for those people who are in, let's say, their 40s and their 50s. Things are starting to get a little bit loose. They don't want to have an arm lift. They don't want to have a tummy tuck. It's not to that extent, but they're looking for some improvement. This is a great way to do it, and it's basically non-invasive. Interesting. So something you talked about with Alex, and, and we talk a lot about a lot here internally at My Buddy Green, there's definitely some tension between Eastern and Western right now in the world. And <laughs> I don't believe they're mutually exclusive. I believe in functional medicine. I believe what you do. I, I believe sometimes you need a vaccine. Sometimes you need a prescription. Sometimes you need surgery. And then sometimes you need a supplement. You need to meditate or, or chill out or, or needles or what have you. I think they both benefit from each other. Mm -hmm. With that said, as you talk about, I'm also very unfamiliar with, with your world and the plastic surgery world. Some of these non-invasive treatments, I'm curious, are they deemed fringe by the Western establishment or are they kind of universally accepted, if you will? Well, the interesting thing, I think when you start dealing with the non-invasive treatments, they because they are medical devices, they have to be approved by the FDA for them to be used. And so there is a difference between being FDA approved and FDA cleared for safety. Okay, so the devices that I mentioned before, the sculpture, the cool sculpting, those are devices that have, I mean, a plethora of peer-reviewed uh, scientific articles that have been published about them. But there are some treatments out there that are cleared for safety by the FDA and sometimes are being used off-label that are a little more questionable. And it's not an East versus West thing. There are just some treatments out there that people will use that, in my opinion, it's a waste of time and money, but they have marketing behind them. Well, you've got to give me an example. So for example, <laughs> there is a, the first FDA cleared fat reducing device was called the Zerona. And this was back when we didn't have any of the cool sculpting or the cryotherapy that was not available. And this was a device that was, it was a laser using low light laser. So low light laser basically is like the laser of a laser pointer. It doesn't create any heat. You can have it pointing at your skin for hours and you're not gonna get a burn from it. And there's this belief that with low light lasers, they can create changes in the body. And I think that to an extent that is true. You can use low light, low light lasers to help actually thicken and grow hair. There are baseball caps that you can wear that on the undersurface of the baseball cap, 
there are dozens or so of lasers that will actually, low light lasers that will affect the scalp and will cause the hair to go into a growth phase. And they're proven scientifically, multiple peer-reviewed uh, published studies on it. But this came out, it was a device that literally looked like the Dr. Octopus from Spider-Man comic books. And it had like four different lasers and you would point it at a person's body and it would just laser the body. And then they would tell you that you needed to, after every treatment, it was six treatments, I think over two weeks, after every treatment, you have to drink like two liters of water and you've got to walk like three miles or something like that. And then after those six weeks, people would lose inches uh, throughout that. Uh, but the question is, how much of this are they losing? Because they have been drinking a ton of water. They have been exercising and maybe they're sedentary before. But they, this was a device that was put out there. And the other problem with it was, is you cannot control where the fat comes from. So somebody might come in, they say, you know what? My parents gave me these love handles. I just can't get rid of them. Oh, yes, let's do the Zorona. It's $2,000. We're going to treat you for it. And then they lose inches from their thighs and love handles are still there. So there are treatments out there. It was safe. It was used, quote unquote, off label. And it was cleared for safety by the FDA. But it really, I don't think really does much at all. And those lasers are still being used. People are still touting them because they're trying to make money off of it. So we know a lot of the same people. And there are, there are incredible, really smart, mission-driven people who get behind practices that are a little bit on the bleeding edge, where science isn't really there yet. There's a lot of debate. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. We just don't know. Curious from your vantage point in your field, yes, you're board certified MD, you've got real credentials, you practice medicine, you cut people open, you're serious. <laughs> Not that these people aren't, if you will, but are, are there certain treatments where you've said, you know what, that's interesting. Western really hasn't embraced that yet. I don't know where I'm standing on it, but I've seen some people have some interesting results that are very positive and, oh man, I wish we would take a look at that more seriously. Yeah, I think right now, one of the hot topics that's right in that arena is PRP. And then after that is stem cell therapy. Now, stem cell therapy is something that is a- That was very, the one I was thinking of. Yeah, I mean, it's a very <laughs> hot topic. It hasn't really truly made its way to cosmetic medicine that much yet. Now, I'll tell you, there has been a lot of talk about stem cell therapy, honestly, for the last 10 years. And there were doctors who were claiming that they were injecting stem cells into people when they really were not. And so the issue with stem cells, so PRP, one thing, there are, I think, a lot of great things that PRP can do, but there are also things that PRP can't do. Um, when you're talking about stem cells, it's a different story now because there are so many promises that are made with stem cells, even in cosmetic medicine, that just aren't proven. And I think where the issue lies with stem cells is that some people 10 years ago were claiming that they were isolating stem cells and doing surgeries to enhance the breast, to lift the face. In reality, all they were doing was using fat. So we know now that our fat is chock full of stem cells. We didn't know this 20 years ago, but we know it now. And so once we started figuring this out, there are certain doctors who were doing what they say are stem cell breast augmentations, stem cell facelifts. I know a doctor who said, oh, I take stem cells and then, or I take fat and then I isolate the stem cells by pointing a low light laser therapy at it. And then that isolates the stem cells and then we inject it. And there's absolutely no, I mean, no science to show that does anything. And eventually he was called out in our national meetings and he stopped advertising it. So stem cells, I think are, I mean, it really is the future of medicine. In our field of plastic surgery, it has, you know, people have made, I think, promises 
who aren't even plastic surgeons about stem cells as a way to market themselves. And that really right now has been the dangerous part in plastic surgery with stem cells is that there are people who you can buy a, an actual stem cell, a, a device that will actually separate the stem cells and isolate them. But those devices last I saw were upwards of $250,000. And there were doctors who were claiming that they were isolating stem cells and injecting them for all these cosmetic purposes. And there's and they weren't using these devices. So I don't know exactly how they were doing it. I mean, in the end, I think a lot of them, it was just hocus pocus and just not being truthful. Way more expensive than one of those Kangen water filters that people love to buy. I looked at the buying, I actually was looking at stem cells. This was literally maybe 12 <laughs> years ago. And there's a company called Saitori. And that's what they do is at stem cells. And it was $250,000. It was not FDA approved. And actually recently, Jason, the FDA did announce, and I'm not sure if this is something you have covered yet, but recently they announced that you are no longer able to perform stem cell treatments if you're not part of an actual IRB, an actual study. And so it really is a hot topic. I don't do stem cells. It's not something that I would say I'm at all an expert in, but now you can no longer, at least in cosmetic medicine and possibly others, promote stem cell therapies at all. I mean, you could get raided and even potentially be put in jail. Wow. So you also mentioned PRP. Could you give us a primer on that? Yeah, so PRP, I think, is great. Basically, you draw a person's blood, you spin out their platelets, which are chock full of growth factors, and then you use that for various type means. Now, it's being used in other types of medicine, orthopedics and stuff like that. In cosmetic medicine, there's a number of places that we're using it. So I mentioned before the PRP type of microneedling facial, where you microneedle the skin and you apply the PRP over it. That's great. We do that in my office all the time. Uh, you can also inject PRP for hair uh, people who have thinning hair. And that seems to work very well. So same deal, you isolate it. Typically with that PRP, you want to get it a bit more concentrated than you would if you're doing it with microneedling. And if you have a provider that's going to do that for you, you want to make sure that they use a more concentrated isolate of it. And so you basically inject it into the scalp in areas of thinning hair, and it helps that hair to grow and get thicker. And there have been many studies that show that definitely works. There are also some kind of more fringe uses of PRP cosmetically. There are people who are using that to inject into the private areas to enhance a person's sexual experience. There's something called the P-shot, where you inject it into the penis. There's the O-shot, where you inject it uh, into the female private parts to, in, to enhance their experience. I don't know that's, that it actually works. I think some of that is branded. These are branded treatments that people make a lot of money off of. And it's tough to say whether it does what it what it, they say it will. What I have seen it not work for that people still advertise it for is as a facial filler. So people advertise using PRP to inject into wrinkles to fill wrinkles out, and that just does not work. And even people inject it into breasts as a way, they say, to make the breasts lifted and bigger, and that's just a lie. There are people who are practicing that, and it just does not work. I've done a lot with PRP. I've injected into people, and it does not add volume no matter where you inject it to. Got it. So you're a big believer in food, supplements. You mentioned hairs. I'll start there. So for example, I've got my hair, but I don't have the hairline I used to have. I'm you know, 46 now, but I take a lot of, I take a lot of biotin, collagen, but if I, my hair is thicker. It works. I'm curious, what's your take specifically on hair with supplementation, segue to nutrition as well? Yeah. So, I mean, there are a lot of causes of hair loss and there, because of that, there are also a lot of great treatments for it. Hair transplant being the absolute last resort. And that's only when you have areas that are literally bald, where there's just no hair growing. Short of that, the first thing you want to look at 
I mean, supplementation, I would actually put as number two. The first thing would be stress reduction. If you're in a horribly stressful time in your life and you're losing your hair, then taking a supplement is not necessarily going to help that so much. You're going to want to look at, you know, targeting why you're having stress and working through that with meditation and, and those other types of things and therapy. As far as supplements, I think you're totally right. There are many studies that do show that supplementation can help. Some people will focus on biotin, um, iron also supplementation can help a lot of people with hair loss and vitamin D as well. For me, I make it very simple. There's a supplement called Nutrafol that we recommend, and I think that works very well for people. And they have formulations specifically made for men and women. And so that would be the number two thing that I would look at in people who have thinning hair. The number three thing to consider with thinning hair would be low light laser therapy. Low light laser therapy we talked about earlier, it's that cold laser. You can get it in a baseball hat type of a thing. You wear it for a certain period of time every day, and that can help the hair to go into more of a growth phase. And then there are the topicals. You know, there's Rogaine, aka minoxidil, um, but there actually is something that's very natural that people can use, uh, topical rosemary oil. There was a study that actually compared topical rosemary oil to minoxidil head to head and found that at three months, neither of them showed a whole lot of hair growth, but at six months, both of them had significant hair growth over baseline. Wow. Rosemary oil. And they actually had very exactly the same type of results. They, their results were not statistically different from Rogaine versus rosemary oil. However, the, the statistically significant difference between the two is that Rogaine had a higher rate of itching and discomfort of the skin, whereas rosemary oil did not. And so that is definitely a very reasonable option for people who want to stay natural and you've got some thinning hair issues. Fascinating. So I'll spend, we'll spend time above the neck. As you mentioned, many of us are still on Zoom, although people are getting back to the office. And we talked about the neck. As you think about the face, you think about wrinkles, you think of eyes and facelifts, eye lifts. And I'm going to come back to, to lifestyle nutrition for those people, well, there, there used to be a belief that I think Western medicine is like, you're, it is what it is. You can't eat your way out of this. You can't supplement your way out of this. And I think our audience disagrees with that. You disagree with that. Although sometimes you just need the surgery. Like you said, double chain runs realistic. in your family. Realistic. Yeah, exactly. But with that said, what are some of the things that people can do proactively in terms of diet, in terms of lifestyle, in terms of supplements to take care of their eyes, their wrinkles, their face. So a lot of things that you can do. I mean, the first thing that you want to focus on, I mean, there are, there are the general things that you have talked about on this podcast many times. And so it's the idea of eating the rainbow, reducing the amount of, of, of fake foods that you are eating. So reduce the amount of unnecessary chemicals and really eating real food. So, I mean, that I'm going to set to the set aside because everybody who follows you they know these principles. You don't want to go eat at McDonald's. You want to, you want you don't want to shop in the middle uh, lanes of your grocery store, eating fresh fruits and vegetables, eating the rainbow, all that type of stuff. But setting that aside, the stuff that people already know, there's some things that we that I think traditional medicine doesn't realize. First thing is the importance of the microbiome to your actual skin. So you've talked about the microbiome. I mean, that's this is a huge hot topic in functional medicine. It has been for a long time, and now conventional medicine is starting to jump on board with that too. And what we're finding is that there are actual studies that do show that the health of your microbiome will actually impact the health of your skin. There are inflammatory skin disorders, eczema, rosacea, um, psoriasis. There are many different skin disorders that actually do appear to have a component 
um, of that in the microbiome, in the gut, and developing a healthier gut by taking good probiotics, uh, by eating fermented foods, by adding fiber to your diet, has actually shown improvement in these inflammatory skin disorders. And so we do know that there's this direct gut-to-skin connection that a lot of people in medicine still really haven't realized so much yet. So that's the first thing, is really what you've talked about this before, you guys have covered this before, but a lot of people don't realize that getting a healthy gut not only is going to improve so much of your health, but of the quality of your skin as well. So that's one thing. Another thing that's a super hot topic, and we're talking about supplements, is collagen. So collagen is the building blocks of our skin. And a very hot product, hot commodity right now are collagen supplements. And the big question is, do they work? Do they actually help the collagen of your skin? Well, traditional medicine and traditional doctors will tell you, you ingest that collagen, your stomach acids will break it down and it doesn't do anything. And I've heard people say that many, many times and comment on some of my videos, that's the case. But there are actual studies that do look at people who have taken collagen supplements. They're not huge studies, but they are studies published in peer-reviewed scientific journals that do show that people who do take collagen supplements have an increase in the collagen content of their skin. And this is a direct correlation of ingesting collagen supplements shown an improvement in the collagen of their skin. There are also studies that do show that people who take collagen supplements do appear to have skin that is more hydrated, uh, it has less wrinkles, and it looks more youthful. So I fully believe that these collagen supplements that you see being sold online, being sold in uh, health food stores, they definitely work. And so I do recommend that as a supplement as well. Well, after the podcast, I'm going to have to get your address because I'm going to send you our beauty and gut collagen, which I'm sure you will like. So in terms of, you know, coming back to the face, you said this on Alex's podcast and your holistic practice and how you actually have an, have a conversation with a prospective patient. And one thing that stood out, you said, you won't even, someone's a smoker. You said, I'm not going to work with you. You got to stop smoking. I'm curious, what are other, what, what are some, what's on your no list when someone walks into your office? Yes. I mean, smoking being the biggest one. And I think a lot of people, when they think about smoking, they think about lung disease, they think about heart disease. But the big thing with, you know, I can tell if somebody is a smoker, literally the moment they walk into my office, or the moment I meet them by look, because you can see it in the quality of their skin, their skin is drier. They've got more wrinkles There are actual studies that have looked at twins, one twin that smoked all their life and one twin that didn't. And the twin that smoked literally looks like a parent of the one that didn't. So we do know that it really can impact how you age. And it's funny, Jason, I mean, if, if I look back and I think about, okay, you know, being in private practice for 17 years, seeing thousands and thousands of patients, what am I most proud of, of my patients that I've seen? It's the thousands of people that I have gotten to stop smoking. And I've gotten to them to stop smoking because it wasn't the threat of lung disease, lung cancer, heart disease, or any of that stuff that, that caused them to stop. It's the fact that I'm not going to do your facelift unless you get off cigarettes. I'm not going to do your breast lift or your tummy tuck. And that's sometimes, sometimes the actual motivator for some people is just the way it is, is their vanity. And their vanity means more than anything else. And, and in that way, I think I've been very um, pleased with. As far as other things that are definite no's, we do know that people who have weight issues and are excessively overweight, they're going to have a higher chance of complications. I get so many people that do call me and I feel for them because there's this prevailing teaching that we're seeing in traditional medicine that it's all about calories. And oh, if you're not at a reasonable weight, it's because 
you're having too many calories, just reduce your calories. And it's tough because I see friends of mine who are traditional physicians who are preaching this over and over again on social media. And I feel like it's like you're banging your head on a wall because you know that's just not the way it goes. It's not just because you're not working out enough. And so there, that is an issue. I get patients who come in and they have a hard time losing weight. Because they are significantly overweight, they may not be a candidate for an operation, but how do you help them to lose weight? And, and so it's trying to get them the right resources and helping them understand that it's more than just calories. And so on the other side of the table, you've got uh, someone who's looking for a procedure and not everyone can go to Michigan and see you. You've got a wait list for anyone listening. If they're entertaining a procedure and they're shopping around for surgeons, what should they look for in a doctor? What questions should they ask? Yeah. So right now, it, plastic surgery is truly the wild west of medicine. It is very scary because there are doctors out there who are practicing and performing cosmetic surgeries, and they are woefully trained to do that. So plastic surgery in and of itself, if you ask me, what's the worst thing you know, that can happen if I have a breast augmentation or a facelift or a tummy tuck or lipo? And I'll start with death. You could die. Okay. Even in my hands, you know, where I am doing everything I possibly can to, to do it the right way, you could still die because there are the fact that you're going under anesthesia and you're having surgery, there are things that are beyond our control. Well, you will increase your risk of that or have something bad happening if you're in the wrong hands. And what has happened is that insurance is paying doctors less and less nowadays. It's becoming a, a model where doctors are, are, in order to stay afloat, they're becoming employees of hospitals. And so you have doctors of all different types, OBGYNs, ER doctors, cardiologists, family docs, um, who are ditching their chosen profession where they trained in to become cosmetic surgeons. So they take weekend courses on cosmetic operations like breast implants, and they put ads out there and they tout themselves as the top breast implant surgeon, and they perform operations in their offices on patients who think that they're actual real plastic surgeons, and they're not. It is, not, it is legal for any doctor to perform any operation on any patient as long as a patient consents to it. So I'm a plastic surgeon. If I were to convince a patient of mine that I could perform a cardiac catheterization on that patient in my office, there's no law against me doing that, or a hysterectomy, or a you know, removal of a gallbladder. It is perfectly legal, and that's what's going on throughout the country. So the first thing, if anybody's considering any type of actual surgery, is to make sure your doctor is a real plastic surgeon, certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery, ideally a member of one of the major plastic surgery societies because they have very strict guidelines that you have to follow. And if not, you lose your certification or you get kicked out um, because there are so many docs out there. And some of the most well-known doctors across the country doing cosmetic procedures are not even real plastic surgeons. They are like family docs and stuff who really should not be doing this. So I'm curious in terms of your practice, if you were to put your patients in buckets and one bucket is okay, I can do this. This is completely probably preventable through lifestyle. And then another bucket, okay, this person really needs this, say the nose job or whatever. And they're going to feel better and get behind that. And another bucket where it's, they just really like getting procedures and it's, it's not body dysmorphia per se, but it's just part of who they are. And maybe there's an, I'm just making up buckets. I don't know what your buckets, but I'm curious, like, what are your buckets? 
Yeah. Okay. So there is the bucket of somebody who really, it's a reasonable patient who has a real issue that we can help them with plastic surgery. So good examples. A woman's had four children. The skin of her tummy is real saggy. No matter how much she works out and stuff, it doesn't really change. Husband says, oh, you just have to do more sit-ups. You have to do more crunches. All that skin's going to go away. When do you fix the husband's broken nose? (laughs) And maybe she's got skin rashes underneath. Really, I mean, a tummy tuck is a great option for a patient like that because there's no reason why she has to live that way if she doesn't want to. So that's one group of patients. are women and men who have real cosmetic issues, not of any fault of their own, and we have a reasonable way to treat it. Those are the ones that I really enjoy doing. And for the most part, what we're trying to do is try to bring them back to where they were before whatever it was happened to them, before they had four kids, before they gained 100 pounds and then lost it, those types of things. Then there are the group of patients that I don't operate on. <laughs> and usually it's usually the answer is no. I mean, I turn down one out of every five or six patients who comes to see me. And usually the answer is because they have unrealistic expectations. So you've got patients who come in, some of them may have body dysmorphia. So an extreme example is a patient who comes in and they say, uh, my nose is hideous. You need to fix my nose. Three other doctors tried to do it and nobody could do it. Look at this horrible bump on my nose. And you look at the person and you see nothing. You see a nose that looks fine. So there's that group. There are people who come in and they want something that's just completely unreasonable because they look fine and I just would turn them down. And then there's a group that are kind of in the gray area where you have patients who really want something and it's a reasonable operation, but you in your mind think, well, geez, is it really worth the risk of doing this? So this would be somebody who, let's say a a female comes in, never had children, young and healthy, and let's say they're a B cup and they wanna be a D cup. And it's like, oh, but they look fantastic. This is a decision that they're making as an adult that they wanna change their body It's a reasonable operation if you go over all the potential risks. And that's where you can get potentially, in my opinion, in a gray area. And then the final bucket are the people who are young. And this is the part that really does bother me. There are young people, women, the girls who are 16 years old who are getting breast implants for their 16-year-old birthday. I, I myself... There has been there have been articles about people having plastic surgery because they're getting bullied. So they end up having plastic surgery to try to not get bullied. I mean, it was interesting. I did a, a news broadcast on that where a kid, probably eight or 10 years old, had ears that were prominent and ended up having surgery to, to set them back because he was getting bullied. And it bothered me because for me, the idea is not that, oh, you're getting bullied, so let's change you. We need to change the actions of the person who's bullying you. And so there are these this the segment of the population, the young population that are getting things done that I just think is just not the right thing. Yeah, you mentioned the younger population and and look, you're prolific on TikTok. You do a good job there. And as a father, we have two little girls, four and a half and two. And I'm just like, oh God, like what is this gonna be like when they're, you know, a little bit older and you talk about girls and self-esteem and I forget the exact numbers, but there was a study recently around self-harm around, around teenage girls. The numbers went through the roof. I, 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 the, the exact number escapes me, but it was very alarming. I, I, look, I don't think technology and social media is, is evil. I don't. There's a lot of good there, but how do you think about that? You're clearly very responsible. <laughs> But how do you think about that? Because I, I know you do think about it. This is, oh, yeah. this is a problem. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a daughter who is uh, 14 and uh, she is not on social media. There are studies that, sh- that have looked at girls 
and their self-esteem and how it's affected by social media. And it's profoundly affected by social media in a negative manner. The more that young girls, tweens especially, uh, are on social media, the lower their self-esteem and their self-image is. So for me, I, I jumped on TikTok not because I wanted to be cool to the young younger generation, but because I enjoy technology and I thought, oh, this is kind of fun. It's a new thing. Let me try it out. And then it, things exploded from there. You're, hilar- you're hilarious. For those of our <laughs> listeners who don't follow you, you're hilarious. Well, thank you. But my kids are not on it. My son is. He's 16. And so he does have an account. But we tell him, look, we're, we really don't feel comfortable with you being out there. And really, for me, it's a lesson I show them because as much as people, I get so many comments and people say, oh, he's so funny. He's great. We love you. There's always that comment of, oh, how do you live with a forehead that huge? Or you, I had one that was like, you look like Danny DeVito. And then some of them are like joking, but I have some that people are serious. And they're like, oh, one was like, you look like an old Thai woman who's had too much plastic surgery. (laughs) Uh, And then there's one that was like, I just saw how sharp his teeth are and I can never get that out of my head. (laughs) So, I mean, I've been in the public eye enough that I can laugh these things off. But when I think about a 14-year-old girl reading a comment from some troll saying, you're ugly, or, oh, look at your nose, and how that can profoundly affect, like one comment from the wrong person who doesn't care about who they're insulting, and it's all over the internet, that can be profoundly affecting to somebody. And so my recommendation really, once again, my kids being a little bit on the older side, and they're still not on social I let them watch stuff. They'll watch some of my things. They'll watch some of their friends have stuff, but we don't have their face actually on social media, at least not yet, because just that one comment is all it takes to potentially make somebody, especially somebody who's developing kind of their sense of self at those ages could really cause some problems. Well, also I, I, Colleen, my wife and I watched something recently. I forget the country in Asia, but a, a significant number of population under 20 was undergoing plastic surgery. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, it's Korea. Yeah. Korea. Yes. And they were all getting the same treatments. And I, and I think for me, like concerned dad, I worry about everything now with, with kids. I'm like, Oh shit, is this going to be America in a, a couple of years? Or am I just an overreactive father of two little girls? I don't know that it's going to go that way. The issue right now with South Korea, and I'm Korean, and this is something I actually made a TikTok on this fairly recently. This started actually back during the Korean War. There was a plastic surgeon from the United States, a guy named Ralph Millard, a huge name in plastic surgery, who started performing eyelid surgery on Korean, South Korean women to create an extra crease of the eyelid that a lot of Asians, East Asians don't have. And the idea at that time, really, it was quite racist, but it was this idea that when the GIs marry these Korean women and bring them back to the States, by giving them an extra crease in their eye, that's going to make them uh, look less oriental and kinder and basically and more approachable than a traditional Korean appearance. So this is really what actually started it. It was actually a Caucasian male plastic surgeon who was who was in South Korea with the military performing these operations. And that's what started kind of this huge trend. I wrote an article back in for CNN many years ago where I really took this on because I think that what's going on now is it really is a Caucasianization of Eastern features. And a lot of plastic surgeons disagree with me. They say, oh, no, we're just trying to enhance the appearance of the Asians. But really calling a spade is it's you're doing procedures to make the person look more Caucasian. And so 
I actually, in full honesty, I performed a few of these in the early on in my practice. When I thought I was had a burgeoning practice, I thought I'm Asian, I'm going to have Asian patients, shouldn't I just do this? So I trained in it. And after doing two or three of them, I started thinking like, this is just not my thing. Like, I really don't like this. And then after having a daughter who does not have folds in her eyelids, it really dawned on me that the thought that my daughter would ever think that she is anything but the most beautiful girl in the world because she doesn't have creases on her eyelids is horrifying. It's a horrifying thought to me. And the thought that she would think that she has to have surgery, otherwise she's not going to feel and look beautiful. It's just, it's just, it's wrong. Right. Uh, and so I stopped doing those and I have tried to spread that information. I'm not here to judge anybody who has it done. Sure. I get patients who call and I do refer them to plastic surgeons who do it that are good plastic surgeons. But that's one of those examples for me when I talk about holistic plastic surgery and trying to do the right thing that I just, it's, it's not in that wheelhouse. Got it. So we've spent enough time about what we both find concerning, but I'm an optimist. I know you're an optimist. What excites you about the field right now? Yeah, I think what excites me right now is that there's more and more talk about food, about clean skincare, and there's so much more going on with non-invasive treatments in plastic surgery than there ever was before. When I first started in plastic surgery in my training, it was all about surgery, and then they just got Botox, and that was it. And so everybody was actually having operations done, and they just came out with Botox. Now, there are people like myself who are talking about diet, and dermatologists who are talking about diet as being such a huge part in looking and feeling your best. There are people now, like myself, who are on that clean skin bandwagon and clean skin care. It still is not as commonplace as we like it to be. There are still a lot of doctors who are really pushing back against the notion that you should try to like with your food. You want to get your skincare to be clean as well. But really, I think that's where the young people, I really think, are pushing that in that direction. They're definitely looking for things that are more recyclable product packaging. They're looking for products that don't have these added uh, ingredients that could be potentially harmful. And then this kind of plethora of these awesome new devices that we're using that can create changes. People ask me, like, what is the biggest bang for your buck when you talk about plastic surgery and looking your best? And I'll tell you, I've got two. All right, the two biggest bangs for your buck. Number one is IPL, intense pulse light. And this is like a laser. A lot of med spots have it where if you've got spots, age spots, sunspots, liver spots, all different names for the same thing, it's chemical free and you can zap those spots away. And that can really help take off the years and cause somebody without any invasiveness to look and feel so much better. Does that, then, I have a broken, does that do broken blood vessel too? It can help it a little bit. It's more okay. for dark spots. Got it. And then the number one thing, the biggest bang for your buck, if you want to look better, intermittent fasting. <laughs> okay. And that's the whole topic of autophagy and cellular renewal. I'm actually in the middle of writing a book on this right now. And that really, I think now we're getting into anti-aging combined with cosmetic medicine, which I think is so, so exciting. Because if you combine the skincare products, the clean products with the right diet, and you're also now adding in that autophagy part of the intermittent fasting, then you are just you know, going great guns at trying to get yourself as youthful as possible. Uh, throw in a couple of non-invasive things and there you go. So the big question with IF, is it 16 hours? Is it 18 hours? Is it 20 hours? I know you got a book on this. We'll have you back when the book comes out to, to go deep, but like what, what's your limit? What's the eating window? Yeah. So for me, I try to keep it very simple. So for me, it's an eight hour eating window. I think most people can do that. I have colleagues of mine, people who've been on your show before where for them, Hey, they can do a water fast for five days. I mean, God bless them, but 
you know, you, I can't convince anybody to do that. I couldn't do that. And so I really think that for me, where I try to do with my followers is I try to bring it to the basics. There are those people who are really into it and can do things that the majority of the public cannot. Those aren't the people that I'm trying to encourage. It's those people who are used to, you know, it's, you know, I'm in Detroit. And for me to say, hey, do a five-day water fast, nobody's going to say yes to that. But can you do a 12-hour eating window and then maybe drop it down to eight hours? Those are things I think that for me, I try to encourage my followers to do. It's funny you mentioned the five-day water fast. Yeah, I've got my aura. I've got my whoop. I've got my Fitbit. I, I Intermittent fasting works great for me. I see Frank Lippman. I do 20 plus vials of blood every quarter. I'm pretty, I'll, I'll try anything. But with fasting, I'm like, there's no joy for me in, in, in fasting for like three or four days or five days. And I, I, what, what I believe that I believe in the intersection of joy and light and health span. Yeah. But I think when you start to take it that far, you're kind of losing, there's not a lot of joy for me personally, taking it to that level of, I'm not going to eat for five days. Like I'm just, I don't get it. I think there's a small percentage of the population that can thrive doing that. They love putting their body into that type of stress, but that's not me. And those aren't typically my followers. And if I'm not willing to do it, then I'm not going to try to encourage other people to do it too. Well, you're doing a tremendous job of reaching the masses and informing them of the good and the bad and the ugly of plastic surgery and specifically holistic plastic surgery. So thank you for all the good work you do. And thanks for being on the show, Tony. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. This was definitely a real pleasure. 